So it's the summer of 2017. It's the height of the so-called migrant crisis, where you've got thousands of people crossing the Mediterranean, fleeing war in North Africa, and coming into places like southern Italy, some into Greece, some into Spain, taking this perilous route across the Mediterranean, often on small dinghies and rafts or even mattresses, trying to save their lives, trying to build a new life in Europe. And this is when generation identity enter the scene. We will find the boat of the of the migrants uh, empty, and uh, when we will be sure, when we will ensure that they are empty, we will sink it. And in 2017, they make the decision that they're going to try and raise money to rent a ship to get into the Mediterranean themselves and block the efforts of migrant rescue ships from major NGOs. If we find uh, any, uh, any boats of migrants full, uh, we will call the Coast Guard, the Libyan Coast Guard, and they will drive them back to Africa. This is at a time when many people were dying making this journey, and what they attempted to do could well put lives at risk. We decided that they had to be stopped. So my name's Joe Mulhall, I'm senior researcher here at Hope Not Hate. Illiberal qui n'est jamais que la démocratie tout court, s'organise fondamentalement autour de la notion de citoyen. Identitarianism uh, is a far-right movement based in Europe. It started in France in around 2012. It actually traces its ideological roots back to a movement called the New Right, or the Nouvelle Droite, a French movement that started in the late 60s, in 1968, with kind of right-wing philosophers like de Benoit and Gilliam Fay. Mr Camus, who is now 70, came up with the theory of the Great Replacement. His belief that the local French population is being replaced by Africans in a reverse colonisation. They created these ideas around what they called ethno-pluralism, essentially kind of a form of racial separatism. In Europe is what they wanted. Identitarianism was a youth movement that emerged in France and then spread across the continent. The most important kind of network in that movement was called Generation Identity. And that sprung up with branches in France, in Germany, in Austria, in Italy. Core to their belief was that Europe was being invaded by an external Muslim enemy that was coming to conquer Europe, that it was bringing fighting age men to infiltrate the countries, cause terrorism and take over, Islamify Europe. What they wanted to do was, what they felt, well, you know, stand up against that, fight against it. And that's where Defend Europe came into this. For those of you who don't know, we are heading out to go stop the migrant boats. There she is. Yeah. Lawrence Southern, someone we were looking at very closely, she was a big figure in the international alt-right, made a video in Italy where her and some people from Generation Identity had got a small rubber dinghy, gone out into a port and fired a flare and attempted to stop a major NGO ship from going out on a rescue mission. If the politicians won't stop the boats, we'll stop the boats. Okay. Oh, there she is. Quick, get in front, get in front. Raise the flag, raise the, raise flag. the flag, raise the flag. <laughs> it catches the imagination of the international far right. No more! No more! Illegal immigration! No more! No more! Illegal immigration! No more! No more! Illegal immigration! Get in front! Get in front! We saw this video, we were utterly shocked by it. We could not believe that Generation Identity were going to do something so vile. 
and decided that we needed to get involved. We needed to do what we could to try and stop this. And what then starts is a major campaign that lasted both for us, but also other anti-fascist groups, other anti-racist groups all over Europe determined to get involved in this, to try and stop this and make sure that they didn't have the capability to put lives at risk. Anything you guys want to say? Wenn die Regierung diese Boote nicht stoppt, dann werden wir diese Boote stoppen. Lorenzo? Se i nostri paesi non mandano indietro le barche, non fermano le barche, allora noi fermeremo le barche. I have no idea what that means. While this group that was engaging in this stuff is French and there was Germans and there was Italians and Austrians, the whole international far right, especially North Americans, start to talk about Defend Europe, start to raise money for Defend Europe. So the international anti-fascist movement decides that we need to work together and we need to wake up and we need to fight back. The group Sleeping Giants, which try and defund groups, start to do a big campaign which is around trying to get crowdfunding to stop this new boat, which GI were raising money for. People start writing articles all over Europe, local groups start writing letters to ports, etc. We started the mission Defend Europe, we knew exactly that the mainstream media would do everything in their powers to distort our message and to slander us. And yes, they did. But eventually, a generation identity successfully raised hundreds of thousands of euros, and they then go and get themselves a ship. And at the time, they're being very coy about it, not telling anyone, and we put all of our research efforts into tracking this boat down. We wanted to find out where it was based, who had rented it to them, and find out a bit more about their plans. The whole research team at Hope Not Haters tracking these ships all over Europe, trying to find what we can, and we eventually trace the boat and track it down to Djibouti in Africa. And there's a small ship called the Sea Star. Uh, instantly that we start then going, okay, how do we stop this ship making it up through the Suez Canal and into Europe where it's going to cause its damage. Once we've tracked it down to Djibouti, we start contacting all the port authorities and we start contacting the Suez Canal. We start to have wins early on. We raided the whole ship and it was really dangerous for our crew because Hope and Tate created false allegations. They found nothing, nothing, nothing was true, but with this huge campaign, this pressure of the media, they delayed our ship. We had to pay black market prices for fuels because all the people, of course, knew we needed them. Not only do we manage to track the ship down, we then manage to track its process as it goes through on its way to the Suez Canal. And we start to find really concerning things like it meeting up with other ships that had come out of the UAE, some of which had history of gun running and all these kind of peculiar stories start to emerge. And we then get onto the ports in, Suez, uh, in the Suez Canal and say, we've got real concerns that this ship that's gonna come through could partly be illegal, but also it could risk life when it gets into Europe. It was a miracle that we got through the Suez Canal. It was, was, a, was a crazy act of planning, finding like, like a bypasses. And um, now we are, we are here in Cyprus. Yeah, <laughs> most of the entire mission has been planning for um, backup plans because yeah. every single one seems to be thwarted. And we knew that every single day we slowed that ship down, we wasted Generation Identity's money. We might not be able to stop it getting to the Mediterranean, but the longer it takes, the more days it gets held at ports, the more money they're spending, the less time they have on that commissioned ship in the Mediterranean causing trouble. Once we'd found out the name of the ship, it was called the Sea Star. It had this kind of strange history that went back quite a while. It had changed its name numerous times. We start looking into the owner, but once we found out the guy was a convicted fraudster, it starts to, to make a bit more sense. We get ships stopped in the Suez Canal and it's held there for a while, but eventually it manages to make it through, which means then we have to move to the next stage of our resistance mission, which is making sure that it can't pick up generation identity in the ports of Europe. Currently, this is just a crew that they have on the boat. A bunch of activists, backed by the supporters. 
shunned and stigmatized by the mainstream media, kicked by every bank and by PayPal, refused by every port, hammered by the migration lobby, investigated by government, falsely imprisoned and harassed by the authorities. Now this story starts to become international. You've got big name journalists or so-called journalists like Katie Hopkins from the UK going out to meet Generation Identity activists. Would you like to see Marine Le Pen as president of France? The rise of the right is a fantastic thing and I think Angela Merkel, mother of all migrants, did us a great service actually when she opened up all the boards and said come on in. She actually created this change. She made you're, Brexit you're happen. Le Pen she fan. made uh, Donald Trump's victory happened. Donald Trump will reinforce Brexit. I think we'll see Marie Le Pen in power. Do you think it would be and worth... And I think it think... will fall to the right as well, and I think that's a fantastic... We're think... obviously doing all we can by working with the press to try and stop this becoming a big story, but we're also pressurising newspapers, saying you must report on this responsibly. Katie Hopkins, the Daily Mail, she went out there to kind of write glowing articles about them. She spent a few days there, but actually by pressure from both us, but a load of other people as well, letters from the Jewish community and groups all over Britain, their bosses actually brought her back. That said, the boat was by this point in the Mediterranean and it was going on its way to pick up the generation identity activists that were moving down across Europe to meet the boat. After the Cypriot police, yeah. and tomorrow, hopefully and finally, the ship will be ready and we will try to board crossing again. Fingers crossed, we will get on the ship. We don't manage to stop the ship at its first port and Generation Identity board it and they begin their mission and they start to upload content from the boat saying that they're going out to monitor or disrupt refugee rescue missions. This has become such a big story. Martin Selner, who's running the mission, is on television with Piers Morgan talking about how he's out there defending Europe and it's really extreme stuff that should never have been on British television but they got away with it as well as a large press offensive attempting to frame this properly to make sure that they weren't framed in the media as kind of rescuers of Europe, but spending a huge amount of time working with the international media. But the other thing we did I thought was really interesting and important was we were building coalitions all across Europe. We were speaking to anti-fascist groups from the big major ones that we were working with, like Sleeping Giants, through to kind of really small local activist groups that were in these ports on the Mediterranean that wanted to do stuff and we were working with them to try and see what information they could pass to us, what information we could pass to them. We were also liaising really closely with a lot of the big rescue NGOs. One of the concerns they had is they didn't know what this ship was going to do, and they'd seen what had happened when Lawrence Southern and her friends had fired flares into the air to try and get in the way, but now they had a proper ship. You know, could they be looking to board NGO ships? Could they be looking to ram NGO ships? No one knew what was going to be planned. So we worked with a number of NGOs, one especially created documents for NGOs that, so that they knew what their legal rights were should they come into contact with this far-right ship on the seas. And also who was who, who were the key players in this, what were they planning to do. Trying to get as much information into the refugee NGOs who of course didn't have an understanding of what was happening in the far-right. So there's some really interesting alliances built there that worked really, really closely. With such pressure they start to find it difficult to go into any ports. There's a great story where they try and get into Tunisia and local fishermen stop the boat from docking, organised labour at the dock fronts stopping the far right getting into their port and eventually what happens is rather than being able to do anything effective and get in the way of rescue missions is you end up with this floating boat running out of resources, running out of money, having little to no effect whatsoever. The kind of mission from our end and from the anti-racist movement had stepped up. We wanted that boat arrested, we wanted it stopped, we wanted it pulled into port and we were working with kind of lo some local fishermen who would go out and take photos of the boat for us. We were working with lawyers that knew shipping law. Unsurprisingly perhaps 
the sea style wasn't particularly seaworthy or it wasn't certainly meeting a lot of the standards that we believed international law demanded of a vessel. So we start to put in complaints into big European maritime organisations and into all the port authorities that there is this ship filled with far-right activists and the ship itself might be breaking all sorts of legislation ranging from not having up-to-date maps through to breaking pollution laws because of rust etc. Doing everything we could to try and make sure that this ship wasn't a danger to lives. And eventually what ends up happening is the boat is just stuck in the Mediterranean. It can't get into any ports. They run out of resources. They start to run out of money. And you end up with these almost kind of comical scenes where little rubber dinghies filled with water bottles are being brought out by other far-right activists because they're floating in the Mediterranean stuck at sea and having no effect. Um, mission started to look like a joke. There's a huge amount of work from everyone. Avaz had big port demonstrations in southern Italy as well that we were involved in and my colleague Simon Murdoch who worked really really closely on this mission and deserves a huge amount of credit for his work on it was down in Italy working with other NGOs on the ground making sure that there was a coordinated effort to try and stop this ship coming into Italy. There was also groups of lawyers in Spain working on this. You name it, it was an international effort. When we came together and we fought together and we worked on it Generation Identity and Defend Europe went from this huge dangerous threat in one month to a month and a bit later being a kind of floating joke. So it was great anti-fascist effort across the continent. Despite the mission itself failing and falling down, what happened was Generation Identity had received a new kind of global reputation amongst the far right. Even though everyone who was looking at it properly knew that the mission had been a failure, for them, the way they span it was as a great success, and Generation Identity now was the darlings of the international far-right, and they'd had more press coverage than a far-right movement had had in a very long time. As Defend Europe had kind of pushed GI into the kind of consciousness of the international far-right, you start to see the network expand. It starts to go from its core, which is France, Germany, Austria, and it's expanded in Italy through Defend Europe, to start seeing a raft of new branches emerge, one of which, perhaps unsurprisingly, was a British or United Kingdom and Ireland branch. We knew straight away that this was starting to emerge. It was a group of young activists, and we felt it was important to get inside Generation Identity from the very beginning to find out what their plans were and what they were going to do in the United Kingdom. So we managed to get inside to the point where we had information coming out of the meeting where Martin Selner, the kind of figurehead of Defend Europe and the figurehead of Generation Identity, came to the UK for a weekend to launch Generation Identity here. And their big plan was to drop a banner over Westminster Bridge in the morning announcing their arrival. Um, we had people in those meetings hearing what they were planning so we knew from the very start and actually there was also people in those meetings recording information. He says Jews were a problem in the 1920s but now the real opponent is Islam. The story was not Generation Identity launches, the story became Martin Selner, figurehead of the international far right, gets caught and exposed in the United Kingdom uh, on tape as a racist. I completely understand that in the 1920s people said there's a Jewish question comparing to an Islamic immigration today. So Martin Selner is uh, the best known figure from Generation Identity, he's from Austria. He has a really unsavoury past which he himself has talked about kind of in much more extreme elements of the far right and he then became identitarian. He became the person that everyone thinks of when they think of Generation Identity. One of the early punches we landed was the leadership of the first incarnation essentially of Generation Identity in the UK step back and disappear. And they start to realise that actually being involved in a far-right movement is going to have a social cost. Hope not hate know who they are. They're going to tell everyone who they are and what they've been up to. 
the second leader, or the one that most people heard about when Generation Identity started to become a bit better known in the UK, was a guy called Tom Dupre. An English guy, he was articulate. As we found out, he didn't seem to have a long history in the British far right. We, and when we dug into him, we actually found he worked at a major bank in the city, Standard Chartered, and um, with a very good job. We exposed this, we put it, we got this kind of expose out into the newspapers. People wrote articles about a far-right movement being run by a young person with a great job in the city, something which was clearly very different to most of the far-right groups we looked at, which were often run by elderly men in duffel coats sat in a pub. We found out who he was, put in a lot of work and time and effort to it, and exposed who he was. Generation Identity UK was part of an international network, and the people in the UK started to travel around Europe, this young group of far-right activists. We saw some of them, we travelled out and managed to find some of the British group uh, active in Poland at the national demonstration, uh, attended by neo-Nazis from all over Europe. And there was a contingent from Generation Identity went there. But you also see them travel to France for the international Generation Identity kind of meetups. You start to see them turn up in Halle in Germany. So this is a group of far-right activists in the UK, but with a really genuinely international outlook. The front-facing kind of figurehead in the UK, as I mentioned, was this Tom Dupre figure. But we were monitoring all of their events. We would uh, go to all of them or we would have people at them. And it became clear or, or evidently clear after a bit of time that there was a hand behind the throne. And this was a character called Tor Rasmussen, who ostensibly outward looking was a relatively jolly short guy from Scandinavia. But actually we thought we needed to look into him and find out a bit more about him. And actually the further we dug, the darker it got. Generation identities say they're not violent. They say they're not extreme. And then we start to look into Tor Rasmussen and find a really dark history of far-right and very extreme far-right activism in Scandinavia. There was rumours that he was he'd been arrested for various violent acts or been involved possibly in violent acts. There was even talk of people being stabbed at events that he was at. There was people even putting up really extreme kind of racist or racial literature. And all of a sudden this guy that was just handing out leaflets and seemed pretty friendly on the streets of London starts to take on a much darker figure and we felt we had to expose this history. Again we worked with anti-fascists across Europe in, in, in Northern Europe that helped us try and find out some of this information on Tor Rasmussen and it turned out he was a really dangerous and, and horrible figure. We felt that we again once again had to expose this and land another punch against Generation Identity here in the UK. So we handed the dossier of information to the Observer newspaper, who went big on it, published a big story, and it caused a huge eruption in the UK branch of GI. At the time, as we launched it, there was a big European meeting of Generation Identity activists from all over the continent, including the British contingent. We published the story, the Observer newspaper published all these extreme uh, elements of what Tor Rasmussen had been up to, and actually Tom Dupre, to his credit, heard about these things when the Observer contacted him and he made the decision to step away and he walked away and left and split GI at this big event in France, really denigrating the British branch in the eyes of the international network. And you've got to remember, you've got this long-standing European far-right network, you've got a new British branch, and so far the only thing they've done is cause the international network trouble and embarrassment. Martin Selner turns up in London, he gets exposed. They then have a new leader, the new leader turns up, he leaves because once again, the guy that had been brought in from Europe to look after the British uh, branch, he gets exposed, he gets caught. Every time they felt they were getting a bit of momentum or headway, uh, someone came in or we came in and produced information that we'd dug up that put them back in their box. Actually for a period we felt that Generation Identity in the UK was probably about done. It was gonna, it was on its last legs. But it does manage to drag on for a period. We keep an eye on it. 
the whole anti-fascist movement keeps an eye on it. And uh, a new leader emerges, a guy called Ben. Ben comes to be the, the new figurehead. They start to re-emerge. They start to have a bit more of a formalised regional structure with um, branches in London, branches in the Midlands and the Northwest. And you start to see some talk of the Southwest having an activist, Wales and, and Scotland. And things start to expand a little bit and professionalise a little bit. So we decide we need to look at them again. We do a, another big report on generation identity outlining who, who's who, why they're interesting, where they're strong, why they're dangerous and what they believe. And we start to, again, turn our focus towards generation identity. Then something happens which changes everything. was hearing that uh, shooting after shooting after shooting, it went on about um, uh, six uh, minutes or more, and uh, I could hear screaming and crying. We have the mass killing at Christchurch. 49 people are known to have died. Dozens more are being treated in hospital for gunshot wounds. Witnesses say at least one gunman opened fire on worshippers at the mosques as they were gathering for Friday prayers bit by bit information trips out that starts to link generation identity to the killer. The killer had called his manifesto the great replacement, the core tenant of generation identity thinking and policy and rhetoric. At first it emerges that he made donations to the French branch and to the Martin Selma and the Austrian branch and then with time, despite endless denials, it becomes clear that there was also correspondence happening between Martin Selma and the killer in Christchurch. This is so important because for people like ourselves that have been saying for ages that generation identity and identitarianism is not as moderate as it sounds, it can be dangerous and it can risk lives. Here was the evidence. Here was an example of a movement that spent years saying we're being invaded and you have to get active to stop it. For some people, getting active to stop it meant let's wave a banner, let's go on a march. But clearly for some people, hearing that rhetoric about invasion and needing to stand up and stop it, that involved getting a gun and going into a mosque and killing a load of people. It exposed generation identity for what it was, it exposed the nature of far-right politics as extreme and dangerous. No matter how many newspaper articles in the press talked about cool hipster fascists, here we had a far-right movement with blood on its hands. This was an individual who had clearly been inspired by identitarian politics and was clearly a huge fan of generation identity as a network, so much so he gave money going out and acting on this rhetoric and the way he acted on it was killing people. So obviously we were you know long been looking at the whole network but once again it became evidently clear to us that the existence of generation identity in the UK was not acceptable to us. We had to redouble our efforts, we had to make sure that we had full coverage, that we were inside, that we knew what they were up to. We wanted to make sure that this ideology that was so dangerous that it resulted in mass killing um, wasn't active on the streets of the United Kingdom. Um, you know, I'm Jewish, I come from a Jewish family. Um, my synagogue would always host these sort of food drives for asylum seekers. And so I was always taught to think of like myself and my family as like asylum seekers from the past. My name is Ben Vandermerwe and I went undercover in Generation Identity. So Ben found out some really, really interesting stuff. He spent a period inside Generation Identity, kind of online getting information through their private groups and their private chats and handing it over to us, uh, including kind of what they were planning, where they were planning it. And he actually even went and made videos for them, which was funny because it meant that we got all of the, the content that was being handed over. 
but also at this major event which he, he actually went to, which was their big yearly conference, he exposed a number of things. Once again, he showed that generation identity attracts people with a really extreme background. He I highlighted a number of people that have been involved in much more extreme elements of the British far right than generation identity, and also people that were speaking at the event, like Colin Robertson, or so-called Millennial Woes, who's the white nationalist extreme right YouTuber, my colleague Patrick Hermanson, who infiltrated the far right for a year, had spent quite a bit of time with Colin Robertson and, and we knew all about him. But I think that we should be taking down names because after the collapse, I hope that people, I hope that certain people meet their, their just deserts. But one of the things that really jumped out was two members of Generation Identity confiding in Ben that they were actually actively serving members of the British Navy. Um, that took us back a little bit, not because there's not been a history of far-right activists in the armed forces, but because one of them actually said they were moving to a submarine, a nuclear submarine, to take up a new job. And we decided instantly and understandably that we did not want a far-right activist in the UK having a job on a nuclear submarine. There was just too much that could go wrong there for us. So we uh, contacted the Navy, obviously, and we decided to blow the lid on this. We went to the Observer newspaper, to Mark Townsend, who published uh, a number of articles, including the front page, exposing that there was members of Generation Identity actively serving in the British Navy. We started to see a split emerge where the European network, once again, looking at the British branch as an embarrassment that had caused them another problem. Every single time they tried anything, the British branch made them look silly. Um, the international branch and the big players break contact, or they demand that GI is, the UK is, is separated from the network. And all of a sudden you've gone from a British group, which is interesting and important because it has links to this major European far-right network, to once again just being a group of young far-right activists sat in a room in the UK. Ben's work was really, really useful for driving that wedge through and once again kind of making it look like the British branch was incompetent and unacceptable. So Generation Identity UK is they're no longer allowed to be part of this big European network and Ben, who's their leader, not Ben who infiltrated, but Ben who's their leader, launches a new movement. They launch themselves as the Identitarian Movement England. It's extensively identical, it's the same people, it's the same branches, they just change their branding from yellow to red. Without the links to the European network, without having that support from a big, famous international far-right group, um, Identitarian England just starts to crumble. You start to see a load of defections, you start to see whole branches disappear, you start to see activists or key activists step away and delete their social medias, and what's left is a small little rump calling itself Identitarian Movement England, and with time it pitters out. And then finally, at an event in Birmingham in the UK, they called it a day. It was no great surprise that it had crumbled, but maybe we, everyone wasn't quite sure it's going to happen so quickly but it was very welcome when it did. We had a great example of a far-right movement launching in the United Kingdom and at every single stage being harried, being exposed, being infiltrated, being shown up for what they were, making sure that they couldn't get away with lying to the press or lying to the public about them not being extreme or not having horrible links. We found out every one of them when we told everyone about them. We never allowed them to grow as a movement and hope not hate, obviously being central to that. Everything we found out, we landed 
another punch. And the result of that was is they never got momentum. They never grew. There was too many people that might have been attracted to them thought, this is not for me. And as a result of that, over a relatively short period of time, you had what went from the great kind of hope of much of the British far right, a new youth, exciting youth movement, to closing its doors at a small meeting in Birmingham in January 2020 and saying they will be no more. Now, some of those activists will, of course, likely turn up somewhere else. They may launch something in the future. But right now, it's uh, one of those moments where we sit back and take stock and say, this really works. Anti-fascism works. You know, telling the truth and exposing the truth works. And, um, and we should all kind of have a brief moment, even if just a brief one, uh, celebrating what everyone achieved. GI is no more in the UK or for the present anyway. It doesn't mean identitarianism has gone anywhere or generation identity as a network has gone anywhere. There's no doubt last year was a very, very bad year for the generation identity network. The links to Christchurch have caused them huge damage. You've started to see governments and police forces and states across the continent taking the threat of GI way more seriously, causing them problems. We've seen court cases, we've seen arrests, we've seen homes raided, especially Martin Selma. Their ability to operate on the European continent in the way they had previously has been seriously curtailed, but they do still exist. And actually identitarianism, we produced a big report last year, myself and Simon Murdoch, looking at the international network of or international movement of identitarianism which of course goes well beyond GI and that is an ideology which is expanding. We are seeing it expand into North America, its ideas, its iconography. We're even seeing groups in South America and Australia, we're seeing them around the world. What made generation identity so dangerous was taking extreme and horrible far-right politics and repackaging it in a more palatable way that can attract young people. And that threat hasn't gone anywhere and identitarianism hasn't gone anywhere just because GI is currently really, really struggling.